Since 2009, SharesPost has been a leader in the secondary market for private company shares. With its network of 44,000 accredited investors and 150,000 members, SharesPost has transacted in more than 190 private companies. Whether you're an investor or a shareholder looking for liquidity, SharesPost has a solution for you. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity. Spotify files for its anti-IPO, Dropbox is going public as well, Amazon makes a big acquisition, and DoorDash got a lot more money. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof, joined by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And our special guest today is Mar Hershenson, who is the managing partner at Pair Ventures. Hi. Thank you for joining us. This week in Uber. <laughs> no Uber this week. We actually have a lot of fun companies to talk about. I'm really excited. Um, Spotify, we've been talking about that or wondering about that forever. It finally filed its F1. That's what you call for a foreign issuer because they're a Swedish company, so it's not an S1, uh, to not do an IPO because they're they're actually it says on there that they're targeting targeting a billion dollars but that's actually BS there's they are (laughs) they are doing a direct listing um and they there was like in the fine print on there it says like to disregard it it was just the paperwork but anyways they're they're doing a direct listing where insiders instead of the company they're selling shares so that means employees early investors are selling directly to new investors which is totally different than how it normally works but apparently Spotify claims or people close to Spotify claim that they don't need the money. So, yeah, whatever. I mean, more money is usually a good thing, but but really, I mean, I think a lot of this had to do with, we've talked about it before, but they had some debt terms that they were able to circumvent. Um, They wound up fixing that ahead of time, but they still decided to go through with this anti-IPO IPO. Uh, but, um, that's, that's a fine way to describe it. I mean, I mean, this is the first one we've talked about on this program, and it's probably going to be the last one we talk about on this program for the next half decade. I mean, this is... I mean, Unless I, it goes well. Until the next one. Yeah, but I don't think it's... Uh, okay, well... I, I don't mean, think it will, but maybe it will. Yeah, may, they they maybe. call it risky. Yeah. They said the word risky I mean, in their the sh- filing. They're, they're like, shares are going to list at, like, what, between, like, a dollar and $10 million per share or something like that? <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there was a really wide range that they gave on there, and they basically were like, here's all the many things that... Many price points it traded at in the past year, and it may not be indica- indicative of what we actually trade at anyway. So that's going to be really fun for the market makers to figure out the price. <laughs> I'm glad I do not have that job because no matter what number you pick, most people are going to hate you. Yeah, like, right? No matter, because it, do you too, favor the buyers or the sellers? I, I, I don't know. I know There's how it works no in, pop, in, in right? an actual like, IPO. I, <laughs> I, I, I really feel like whenever we talk about new offerings, we sit around and we generally have an idea of what this looks like. If it's a SaaS business or a consumer play, we kind of know where to price it and we think talk about it. And in this case, I'm just going, yeah. So some like weird things about the filing, it kind of alternates between dollars and euros, which you know, it just is testing how closely you're paying attention. But they have, I mean, maybe their losses look better in euros because they lost like $1.5 billion, close to that. Uh, but they they had $5 billion in revenue, which, to be honest, I was impressed by that. I mean, it's not that their margins were great or anything, but the, the sheer volume of revenue that they, that they've been able to accumulate was was quite a bit, uh, but I mean you know now they're facing a lot of competition, which they had to acknowledge in the risk factors, and uh, they admitted that they're at a disadvantage, I believe, from Apple and other companies well, they, they that have an operating the platform, system. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean it's like I mean Spotify is it's it's interesting to look at it now because you're saying that their revenue is really high, but it seems like they're like 
go they're playing an absolute numbers game right now right so they you know they start off with like a nine ninety nine dollars and 99 cents whatever that is in euro subscription uh which whichever that wouldn't whichever looks better right <laughs> um and uh then they introduce the family plan which has up to six accounts for like 15 bucks and they introduce the student plan which i think includes hulu for like five bucks and there's all these like different like tiers but at the same time it's like all this is technically counted as a premium subscriber right and so those premium subscriber numbers are like semi-juiced a little bit right when you compare to apple music and things like that but at the same time and but at the same time they are the churn is like dropping like crazy right they have something like five percent churn or, or which is almost unheard of in like the music industry. yeah i was gonna so. say that they have great retention and also great appeal for young people because even my kids are still using spotify which for an old company tells you something about that I product. Love it. Oh, the cool Wait, kids use Spotify. Wait, Spotify is an old company now? <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even that didn't even occur to me. Um, but to literally, no, like, I remember, I remember like one of my coworkers way back in the day being like, "Yeah, Spotify is not in the U.S., but you should use a service called Groove Shark. It's really cool." So, <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh, I mean, Spotify actually has been around for I believe about twelve years, but it was in Europe first. So it, it I, mean, I guess they were founded about twelve years ago and maybe launched about ten years ago, something like that. But it, it took was, like a million it, years to get here. That's, yeah, yeah yes. it took a while to get to the U.S. So uh, our European listeners have probably been listening to Spotify forever, but uh, I mean, at least five years, no more than five years, definitely that it's been in the U.S., but it's been popular in the U.S. To Lindley's point about churn, I think it's one of the most impressive uh, parts of the uh, F1 because I pulled up the numbers here. In 2015, they had premium churn of 7.5%, then 16 to 6%, and then 5.1 in 2017. That's an insanely good uh, path. Yeah, these... I mean, these don't, they seem like small numbers, but like when you're talking about like psych, people cycling in and out, like 5% is a ridiculous number. Right? It feels like a SaaS business. Right, that is a good point. It's consumer SaaS. But yeah, they said they have 159 million monthly active users, but 71 million pay. So, I mean, actually that's a fairly good ratio for like a freemium model of paying to, to overall users. But um, yeah, I guess also... It's they're in 61 countries, so they're pretty global business at this point. But um, one thing else that was kind of tricky about the filing is the ownership, because if you look, it said that it, it, at first it said something about co-founder and CEO Daniel Eck owning 23.8% of the company. But really, there was like something in the fine print that was like, actually, he's basically just, that essentially meant that he was voting on behalf of some other people and really only owns about 9% of the company. So for a co-founder and CEO, that's not high. But it's not, I mean, it's a big company, so he's going to be fine. But his co-founder that's less well-known because he's not the CEO owns more. Martin Lorenzen, he owns 12.4% of the business. And then the other large shareholders were Tencent, Tiger Global, Sony Music, and then Technology Crossover Ventures, TCV. So those are the ones that, that own a big chunk of Spotify. Uh, not surprising, given how long it took for them to get public. I mean, thinking about their age and how many rounds of capital and then also rounds of debt it took to get here, I mean, that's what happens to your ownership. We've seen other companies go public in the last couple of years that had relatively reduced CEO slash founder stakes, and that's what happens when you need to burn a lot of cash to grow. And that, that is one downside to SaaS IPOs. I'm sorry. like you, you, A lot of SaaS companies have lower founder percentages because it costs so much more to grind out that pre, you know early ARR that will compound later on. That's the uh, downside of raising a lot of money if you're a founder. You should 
Yeah, be careful about dilution. I mean, yes. it will always come back, and we will giggle at your S one, and we will tell you about <laughs> but it. But here, here, I think we celebrate all these big fundraisers, and then you know, you look at the end ownerships, and maybe you shouldn't have done that much, right? A hundred million sounds good when you raise it, but when you look at the cap table, us That's like right. in five years later, it looks a little different. Um, here's a question though: Does Spotify have a lot more room to grow? Because I'm kind of curious about how big the overall music streaming market will be. Because Apple now has 36 million paying subs, Deezer is out there, Tidal is out there, Pandora is still a thing. So somehow. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious how much more TAM is there for these services to leverage? Because Spotify's growth rates well, have been- Well, the whole world well, likes music, I think. I mean, most, <laughs> almost everyone I mean, so, so, <laughs> Big so, TAM. So in, in January 2016, Apple Music had about 10 million subscribers. And in, I think in February this year, they reported it's about 36 million. So that's what, like almost a 3x-ish over the course of two years, right? So like split the difference, right? Um, and Apple and Spotify, you know, same thing is probably growing uh, at a comparable rate. But I mean, essentially, like what it, the the thing is, these guys are still go- growing really, really fast, right? And we're talking subscribers, right? We're not talking like freemium users or anything along those lines. We're talking about people like actually signing up, putting a credit card number down. Maybe there's like a promotional thing in play. Maybe you're on the family plan, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, like these are actual paying users that give you dollars in order to listen to music. And the music business sucks. It's yes. very hard. It's very bad. <laughs> unless, you're a- unless you're Apple. <laughs> or Drake. Or Drake. Or Tidal. <laughs> Wait, actually, it is pretty bad if you're Tidal. <laughs> Their business is only going to grow, or at least the, the total market is only going to grow as young people grow up and start listening listening to music because right now you probably have a portion of the population that's elderly that may not might not be hip to Spotify and maybe they've heard of it but they might not be using it whereas uh, these today's teens are for sure going to be checking out digital music in some way so I think over time the, the greater percentage of the total global population will be listening to music in some way whether Spotify or Apple Music is winds up being the the leader in the long term remains to be seen but at least the overall market will grow. I mean, I I think like YouTube Red is way more of an existential threat than Apple Music as well. Like YouTube's music service. Yeah, no, I I, I can't believe how much I disagree with that. So I'm curious why why you think that only. I mean, if you like YouTube has just as big as a catalog of songs as like anywhere else on the planet. And the thing is, like, you can search those for free. Right. I mean, I can go to YouTube right now and I guarantee like I could find a Naruto mashup to like every single song in the entire universe. Right. You could play a drinking game to see if you could find a song that's not not compared to that. Right. That would be a very bad drinking game. Yeah, I know. It'd It'd be bad. Don't do that. Our listeners around the world. Don't do that. That's bad idea. I mean, um, I th- I'd like to say one thing. I think it's uh, interesting that yes, more people will listen to music. And it's interesting because in the last maybe six months, I've been approached by really young people trying to reinvent what is Spotify and what is uh, Apple Music. So it's interesting how to see how they think. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a new company actually coming up, uh, eventually disrupting this guys. What do you think would make it better? For a lot of them, it's social features. And I'm always thinking, well, doesn't Spotify have social features? And they'll be like, no, but they haven't changed in the last four or five years. So it's interesting. <laughs> that's well, the perception of people that are, you know, live in that world. Uh, and that's what they want to do. So. But the problem with music is the licensing costs can be prohibitive. And also as margins improve, especially as a public company, people will be well aware and they might try to exploit that. I mean, at the end of the day, Spotify is nothing without the artists. And so so that is one of the biggest challenges that that Pandora saw, even though they have a very different business model. But um, just these various types of agreements that they have to get the music, uh, that can change. And it can change their costs quite significantly. I think 
think though later on I'm going to pay more money for Spotify. They're going to find some way to charge oh, me yeah. more because I get I don't know, a thousand dollars of value a month out of that service. It is the best money I spend on our ROI basis every month. Ten dollars is ridiculous. You would pay a thousand dollars a month. I would pay hundred and fifty if I had to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have a lot or of money. I would pay more than I would pay more <laughs> He's than myself. He's the editor in chief of Crunchbase. Come on. No, I mean music is the most important thing to me. Like this is yeah. this is my jam. I, I listen to you know five to seven eight hours of Spotify a day. It is yeah. the soundtrack of my life. So the fact that I'm getting away for ten dollars. It feels ludicrous. And so I'm curious if that'll uh, also help their margins down the road, if they can capture more of that in their share and not pay all that back to labels uh, just to better run their business. Because they don't they lose a lot of They have to gradually money. raise the prices. I mean, if they, were, if they raise them substantially overnight, people would freak out and like boycott the service yes. and do something else. So you have to Especially because really, there's options. Very slowly. There's a lot of options. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, like th- we have products like AirPods coming out, right? And all these other wireless earbuds and the th- like th- this idea of streaming sound to your ear and a device that's always there is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the market's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger whether that's i don't know uh assistance or actual music or you know listening to conference calls like i hope to god not right um, <laughs> i just hate this um but, but, but things podcasts. like that but it's a, this idea it's like you know you're always going to have like this like alex says it's like a soundtrack to your life i mean i'm if i'm walking around somewhere i, I always have headphones in right and i'm generally listening to music or something along those lines yeah and i'm wondering if they'll move to the producing side and generating their own content that's another question right i'm is spotify as a label right yeah. because that would allow them to not pass through all the uh, all the profit increase margins do not pass go i mean <laughs> if spotify goes the netflix route on original content to really butcher some analogies there i think artists would fall over you know their feet to get that deal because they will get more distro on the platform i mean the the pot the playlists and so forth that spotify has do control listenership so. um, other, and then maybe they can exist in that like alternate universe where free cash flow does not actually matter in terms of valuing the company that's only for snap <laughs> until, <laughs> until next year there was another company uh, Alex's favorite. Yeah, well, I mean, so we want to talk for a hot minute about Dropbox because it was such a big deal last week, and we recorded a equity shot um, right after our normal episode because we were all kind of excited about this. But now that the dust has settled, uh, I want to quickly run through a couple numbers, and then I want to get people's reactions because we've had a little bit more time to digest the uh, Dropbox news. So. Um, using rounded numbers for the sake of everyone's sanity, I've cut these to kind of size. Here is the top line to keep in mind. So Dropbox's 2017 revenue was $1.1 billion, up 31% year over year. Their 2016 rev was $845 million, up 40% year over year. Their net loss on a gap basis was $112 million, 2017. And 2016, their net loss was 210. So a declining net loss as the revenue goes up. That's kind of what you want to see. Uh, for the financial nerds out there, Dropbox has been about 160 65 million in 2017 on share-based comp. So if you take that out of their net loss, they'll have positive EPS once they go public. I'm sure they'll tell us all about that coming up. Um, and then one kind of top-level number that got a lot of coverage was their uh, free cash flow in 2017 of 305 million, which really I think is a bit of a odd stat because they, they didn't calculate it in 232 million in cash used for quote financing activities, which include their data center leases. So their actual kind of real free cash flow number is about 73 million. And then finally, Finally, their gross margin grew from 33% in 2015 to 67% in 2017, which is probably the most important uh, number we've said so far. So well, that's what it looks like. Well, it's like a shift to enterprise customers, right? Your gross margin is going to like 
grow, right? Well, also, they put the money into their data centers. They control their own hardware yeah. now. They're more than 90% of their stuff is now on their, quote, custom-built infra. So they dropped AWS and drove their margins up 2x. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that was like an OG, like, Justin TV Twitch move way back early in the day as they switched their own infrastructure really early on. And as a result, they had their, like, costs down to almost, what I mean, whatever the cost of, like, buying the actual bricks and playing them yeah. into a wall, right? It's like being vertically integrated, right, for a company that offers, you know, storage. I mean, once you hit a certain scale, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Absolutely. I, I didn't realize that the it was it, it seems to be a lower cap than I thought it was going to be on when you should do this. But I mean, it's kind of a cautionary tale for a lot of startups to not get too dependent on any one cloud provider. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit controversial, actually, about whether they should be considered an enterprise company. I mean, so first of all, out of their 500 million registered users, only 11 million actually pay for the thing. And then actually a pretty sizable portion of that, they're not paying through their company. They're actually, they might be using it for work, but it wasn't a partnership worked out via Dropbox salespeople. So uh, some people are saying, well, yeah, people use it for work, but it's not quite quite the same thing as a typical SaaS company. So it shouldn't be the it's not a comparable to some of the other companies like Box. Which thank you for that really delightful segue because as it turns out, uh, since the Dropbox S1 has come out, uh, Box reported its earnings and uh, the the highest level story is that Box met on revenue and beat on profit and then fell by about twenty two twenty three percent today, which confused a lot of people. And the the short answer is their guidance was light, and so looking ahead into the next quarter, they were a couple of million dollars short on revenue, which spooked investors who were expecting the company to maintain gap unprofitability because they were investing in long-term growth. And when you're a SaaS business, that does a lot of talk about, you know, I'm going to butcher this, as a negative dollar churn on existing cohorts, whatever the hell it is. Um, that's not a great story to tell. It means your growth can be very expensive and cost a lot more cash. So for Dropbox, who wants to go public now, their main comp that they don't want to have, to Katie's point, uh, Box just got um, the knees kicked out from underneath it. So it's, uh, it's kind of a rough atmosphere for Dropbox to go public inside of. And you, you know Drew, right? Well, your business partner, Pejman, yes. was like the first investor. He was the one first of the first investor. In, the first in investor in Dropbox. Lucky, so, lucky man. Lucky guy. Like, give us the inside scoop. Like, what's Drew like? What's Dropbox like? like I mean, what do you think? Yeah, uh, well, I think Drew is an, one of these incredible people that 0.001% people that you see and you're just, I'm just going to work for this guy and do whatever he says. So, incredible leader. And Pejman is able, my partner Pejman is able to detect those people. So, um, you know, he invested in Drew based on that, just on his amazing personality and clarity of thought. So um, there was no numbers on ARR or churn or anything that guided Peshman's discussion. And at the time, it was actually pretty controversial because who was going to invest in you know, a storage service when Microsoft had their own thing, et cetera, and Google had their own thing. I think everyone but the last people who put in money in 2014 at the 10 billion are really happy with this result. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that you know the last question really is you know what's Dropbox worth? And to the enterprise consumer question is kind of the question, and uh, what kind of multiple they're going to get. But at a minimum, it's hard to talk too much trash because their gross yeah, margin is going up and they're generating cash. Their trends are super positive, and to your point on the sales, you're or uh, you know you're right that you know most of the revenue comes from enterprise, but a lot of people do get it without having talked into a salesperson, and that's the dream of any kind of B two B company. Low cost. Low cost sales, right? <laughs> Not even low cost. But, no but yeah, I mean, I just wonder long term, though, how retention will be if, if you're dealing with fickle consumers. But yeah. it seems like regardless, Pretty they, high they have a lot of a lot of money. Um, and so, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by their financials. Not shocked because I'd been hearing good things. But uh, it does seem like they're doing really well. I mean, 
even even Aaron Levy, I was talking to him again about their earnings, and he he definitely gave them a shout out to how solid their financials looked. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean we're curious. Is it, well, is it going to be ten billion? Like, is it going to be worth ten billion when it goes well, public? I mean, no. what I want. I mean, if you looked at like, yeah, their revenue is growing and their losses are declining, but I almost wonder if they like miss the window for like wild profitability growth, right? And and I'm curious, like, if you have your I mean, 31% is like great, right? 31% year over year is great. Um, but at the same time, if you start having that like kind of downward trend and you're, you're, you know, you're still like, you don't have that like crazy profitability ramp that's happening, right? If you've kind of missed that window to get that growth multiple outside of like a five, oh, five your, X SAS multiple point. or something like that. And like, yeah, you bake in like the, you know, consumer part of it, right? So maybe it's, you know, five plus like a three X like, you know, extra credit for having a consumer business on top of it. Right. But like if you're, you know, if your gross margins are going up in addition to having your own bricks in a wall, um, that's because you're working with enterprise companies, right? Like it's almost as if like, you know, box like just became profitable, right? Well, like, they just became free cash flow positive a couple quarters ago. Yeah. They're not gap profitable right now. Yeah. And, and so like for, for Dropbox, it's like, you, you know, you're going public and you still have like pretty significant losses, but like where is the window for profitability, right? And like they'll hit it, obviously. Like the like we can see it in the numbers, they're gonna hit it, but it's the question of like, are they gonna get like the kind of like Netflix extra credit bonus? No. That yeah, that, right? They're not. So. And so just to talk about how, so Lindley mentioned some multiples there. That's a really great way to think about this. And so I, I ran the numbers on Box's new ARR multiple uh, using their fiscal Q4 number, X4 for a year number, because um, they're 96% recurring. And uh, that divided by their new market cap of $2.5 billion, down a Ooh. lot. To the, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not excited about that. That just sucks for everybody. Their new ARR multiple is 4.6. And so even if you add like two to that and you get to six point six for Dropbox, that's Sa- it's SAS. Like Yeah, it's SAS, but it's yeah. that's seven point seven, seven point eight billion, not ten. And so like even if you give them this a firm gas for the consumer or for the better free cash flow or for the whatever, the bigger growth rate on a higher revenue base, it's still not close to ten. And yeah. that I think details for us how SAS managed to uh, get a lot of extra love back in twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen in the unicorn craze. Yeah, because I got people, to like 10 or 12. Oh, or gosh. Th- yeah. People were buying a lot of future, future, future cash flows at that point in time. But um, yeah. we'll I think it know. might be depending on how the market is going to price this consumer uh, trace, you know, part that they have. So we'll see. I think what's the weight on that versus the SaaS, right? I think that that I think that argument made tons of sense to me. And then Box did this. And now I think my optimism has waned gently for the Dropbox. Uh, Valuation, but we'll see. I mean, I'm we'll, not going we'll to buy any of the shares. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to uh, price at a 10 billion dollar valuation, but I think there's room for growth. I mean, as we saw with Square, they didn't they didn't hit their private market valuation, but now they're well above that after a couple years, a few years on the stock market. So, we could see something like that with Dropbox, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as Square was, which was close to like half their valuation. I think I think Dropbox. We'll be closer to the $10 billion mark, but maybe not quite there. We'll see, though. But speaking of billion dollars, uh, something else got bought. So what's going on? 
Yeah, Amazon bought a doorbell um, <laughs> for a billion dollars. Well, a doorbell with Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, doorbell. Wi-Fi enabled doorbell. Um, no, so Amazon uh, just bought a company called Ring. Um, they make doorbells. Uh, I mean, this gross oversimplification of it, right? So they, you know, uh, security cameras, floodlight cameras, and home alarm systems, a lot of other security things, mostly doorbells, hence the name Ring. And it was for reported around like a billion dollars or something like that so amazon is buying another hardware company for a billion dollars um and i know iot is a thing (laughs) (laughs) but i I heard the ceo of ring described as a data company because they're taking pictures all the time so they're like mapping everything (laughs) in a street so what are they using with like what so they're taking photos of your visitors right right. what are they doing with every house in the block it's a private visit and people don't want to know wait too bad no 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 to be be fair i mean if you if you're walking in front of like a, a a camera in front of someone's house like you don't really have a reasonable expectation of privacy right no so it's like Technically, the data they're collecting is public data. No, but it's, it's kind, funny because kind of? Snap is a software company that was declared to be a hardware company due to their camera company. And then in this case, they're a hardware company that claims to be a software company. I mean, like, <laughs> can, can someone just stay in their lane for five minutes? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a big deal. Isn't the idea here that eventually Amazon will, like, you can let Amazon into your house to drop off your stuff because they'll control your doorbell or something? Right. And they already have Locker, right? You go to, I mean, you can walk into Whole Foods. There's one over on, you know, 24th in in Noe Valley uh, for San Francisco residents. Uh, people, other people that are not in San Francisco, don't visit San Francisco. It's not that great of a place. I mean, if you in the when you kind of listen to it, you always hear like relatively good things about Ring in terms of just like their ability to actually actually get products out the door, right? Which um, for smart devices is not an easy thing to do. Um, but I mean, for, in terms of the data thing, for though, um, you know, the applications. Of this is really obvious. You know, in terms of letting someone into your house. Imagine if uh, your FedEx guy that's carrying your Amazon package, he walks up to the Ring camera. The Ring does a face recognition. The garage door opens. He walks in. He puts the box down. And Amazon knows that it's been delivered, so it gives you a push notification that your I don't know your like cheerios are delivered and you can rush home and eat your cheerios if you're really excited about it right so i uh, mean that sounded really plausible until you said garage door and i was uh, like i'm like dude this is sf we don't we don't have i don't have a car let alone a garage let alone a garage door how rich do you think i am um i like the idea though i mean it works out in principle and also i mean you're you're at this point your defensibility is your data, right? I mean, regardless of whatever company you are, that's that's what I, I mean. I'll, the algorithm is always going to be a race to the bottom. You may have one that's you know, one, two, five, ten, hundred times faster than the one behind it, but it's everything's going to catch up at some point, right? And so it all depends on like, can you get a product out the door? Can you collect data? Can you collect enough that whatever's publicly out there is competitive to it, right? And then. Sell it to Amazon for a billion dollars, <laughs> along with the doorbell. I guess. So my favorite thing about this is they were on Shark Tank and yeah, the pass. sharks pass, and I think it was like a seven million dollar valuation, something really small. They would have made a lot of money, but I mean, you know, some others did invest. Uh, you have DFJ, um, you have True Ventures, Upfront Ventures, First Round Capital, CRV. Like, so quite a few investors wound up recognizing the opportunity here, but Shark Tank did not. It's almost like Shark Tank <laughs> is a really bad show that tells most people in America that investing works more when it doesn't, and Wait, you shouldn't watch it. This is this is Mark Mark Cuban's still with it, right? I don't care. Yeah. Okay. I don't, this, is, this, is, this is the same guy that said like tanking in the NBA is a good idea. 
Yeah, some so. founders come like, to see me and said I practice because I watch some Shark Tank. I'm like, okay, wrong, wrong. Training. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 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 I have to know Mark pretty well. He's, he's an interesting character. Mar- Mar- Mark's Mark's okay. I don't know much about him, but like everyone says, he's okay. I poked him in the stomach once to disrupt. Uh, that was an accident. Um, but uh, the Shark <laughs> Tank, right. Shark. Well, that's we, yeah. Long story. But Shark Tank is bad, and so I love whenever Shark Tank looks bad because it is bad. And so in this case, ha ha ha, terrible television show. Well, yeah, and so actually one thing that I think is most interesting about this is just that Amazon is spending more money again because we've wondered about that for a while. They weren't very acquisitive at all. Uh, I mean, they buy smaller companies, but they bought Whole Foods last year, and then we were talking about are they going to buy something else? Uh, So it's another billion-dollar acquisition for Amazon, and trust me, a lot of VCs want to sell their companies to Amazon. (laughs) Amazon has the money, and there's a lot of commerce companies that would like to get bought. So maybe Amazon will be buying other things, um, you know, whether whether it be commerce or hardware or IoT. Big companies. We we have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, looks like Amazon is willing to open up their checkbook. I think they like to write big checks, you know, go big or go home for this guys. I mean, <laughs> Twitch, I mean, yeah. talk about an early yeah. deal. I mean, they bought Twitch in 2015, I want to say, 2016, no, 2015. And like, that was way ahead of the esports boom and they've ridden that wave up quite well. So yeah. to their credit. I mean, also like, these things don't make sense now, but they generally make sense after a couple of years. If you look at Amazon's kind of like grand scheme of things, right? Uh, you know, Amazon, Amazon video and all that stuff associated with Prime and obviously like live streaming is a big part of that whether it's just esports or like people eating in front of a camera or stuff like that like live streaming is live streaming fits into the notion of online video right and so in the grand scheme of things these things kind of make sense so the doorbell <laughs> I guess makes sense, you know. Just like Jeff Bezos lives in the future, so yeah. we have to. Predict. Well, he does have his infinity clock, right? So <laughs> I mean, he always says, you know, like this quarter was cooked, you know, eight quarters ago. We're always thinking, and so like I guess maybe we'll figure out what ring is going to be for in the you know twenty. What year is it? Twenty twenty. I can add two. There yeah, we go. Something like that. So we wanted to talk about something else in commerce, right? DoorDash. Oh, yeah. So um, if you don't like to leave your house and you do like to have food brought to your house and you don't. Which you could use you Ring. Can, you could use Ring to yeah. let the delivery guy in, right? <laughs> there you go. I, I, I Cheap would... laziness. You don't have to cook. You don't have to even answer your freaking yeah. door. Alex Get is... food right to your seat. Well, and then kitchen. you have an autonomous <laughs> little home device that brings it to your table. My yeah. subway yeah. was stolen. If Alex is in the middle of like a destiny match, like he definitely doesn't want to go down and p- open his door for something. So. <laughs> want until we have someone who like dishes it out on our plate for us. Okay. And then pre choose it and then just it vomits it into our mouths. Um, the actual news is DoorDash, a company that does food delivery, raised a huge pile of money led by Lindley. Guess who? Uh, d- I don't know. Some big firm. SoftBank. Yeah. Yeah. I know. $535 million. And notably, their preceding round led by Sequoia in 2016 was $127 million. So this is a dramatic increase, not only in their uh, capital raise, but on their last round. And this is more than the majority of their total yeah. capital and raise. And their post-money valuation was $1.4 billion. $1.4 yeah. And this is, this is the same round, like, way back in the day when they tried to raise it at a billion. And they, like, could not pull that one off, right? So they ended up settling down at seven seven hundred. Million, it was like, oh shoot, like on demand, like uh oh, kind of thing, right? 
Um, but I mean, at the same time, you know, we saw a look at Postmates financials back in the day and they looked like pretty good. Right. And yeah, yeah. yeah they, they weren't as bad as people thought. Actually. So a f- few years ago, you, you couldn't even go like to a VC meeting without them being like, oh, on demand. I'm so glad I'm not doing that because it's yeah. terrible. And then they would name like five companies and it'd be DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart, whatever. And like, I mean, in fairness, those companies are still around and raising money. Um, so yeah, Instacart just did a big round. Yeah. But. Instacart just did a big million. round. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I haven't looked at Postmates financials in a little bit, but like they weren't dead. And this, yeah, this was about two years ago that I posted their financials and I, I explained this that they a, were definitely I mean, not I, dead at all. No. And I think this is a big market. Like everybody eats, a, you know, most people three times a day. So it's Some a big. Some people like a little more than that. Yeah. <laughs> or a little less. Depends. Yeah, it's a big market. And, you know, I think the trick with this company is you have to be like kind of operationally crazy because there's such small margin in each transaction. Huge volume, small margin, so you can't be sloppy in your operations. You'd be fanatical about getting every single penny out of it. Absolutely, that and that's why you need like kind of an excellent you know, operating team to pull this off. Their margins have got to be really thin. They obviously are going to have to make up for it in volume. But to me, this seems like it would only work in a concentrated urban area because, you know, if you're not going to want to drive 20 minutes to deliver a $10 order. I mean, they, a lot of them have order minimums and what have you. But, uh, you know, we had someone on our show recently who ran Eat24 when it was part of Yelp. And he was talking about how he was envious of groceries because there was a larger average order. And... Uh, Unfortunately for someone who's just ordering takeout, a lot of times it's just one meal for one person, and it's not a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not, not that I ever do that. I, I do that all yeah, the time. Yeah, I think delivering food is probably even harder than groceries because you want to get it warm, right? So there, most of the time, so it's even harder. So you're right, and you're hungry, and you yeah, want it so right you away. Want it right then, <laughs> and you don't want to wait 45 minutes. With groceries, you're okay waiting a couple of hours, right? So it is hard. But again, if you make it work, this huge volume, so you can make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, also like we're talking about urban areas, you know, there being you know only a couple urban areas, but at the same time, like the New York market was so freaking big that it pretty much supported Seamless by itself, right? It supported one of these, this like massive company by itself, and so I mean, if if you you know if you're DoorDash and you got into five of them chicago san francisco san jose area ish new york austin houston like some of them that's more than enough for a 1.4 billion dollar valuation but there's also uber eats i mean obviously from a consumer perspective there's a lot of people who like this kind of thing but there's so much competition these days and if they're competing on if they're competing on price i mean because you want to get those delivery fees down for, from a consumer perspective, then I can't see how they're really going to be making a lot of money per transaction. So, I mean, I know that Postmates has tried to innovate with some memberships where you can pay a flat fee to waive delivery fees, and um, you know, I'd be curious to see their their financials again. So, if someone feel free to send it to me so I can see how that's paying off. But, but uh, yeah, they're really they really need to innovate here. I know they also um, Postmates, for example, they have some of the businesses paying to be featured on the app. And so there are other ways to make money beyond the actual food delivery order. So I, I'm guessing, I mean, they have smart people in this. You have Sequoia Capital, which 
was also in Dropbox. They they have a lot of wins. Uh, so I'm guessing they have some ideas on how to improve margins and just and drive more revenue. Yeah. You know, we're seed investors in DoorDash, so there's not much. You know, I don't I can't disclose a lot of it, but I can tell you that it's an optimization problem looking at the big picture. So the optimization in New York versus, say, Detroit, where they just launched is a slightly different problem, right? And you need a team that is built systems that allow them to figure out, you know, how do you minimize delivery time in that location versus that location, et cetera. I mean, so, as a, sorry, as a seed investor, would you sell at this valuation? I mean, you probably made a lot of money. I mean, it's a good day. Right. I mean, it's a $1.4 billion valuation. I don't know. I mean, we are you may very... as well quit while you're ahead, right? <laughs> We're actually pretty bullish on the company. So, you know. Staying put. Staying put. To put it in perspective, uh, you guys were in the seed round, which yes. was September 30th, 2013, which was led by Kosla and was a total of $2.4 million. Now the new round's $535 million. But okay, last question that I have about this one, though, is <laughs> if you just raised more than a half billion dollars and you're in a very competitive market, do you actually look to optimize and try to wring dollars out of it or do you try to gain market share? Because you have the cash flexibility that no one else has to essentially go into markets and, and buy mine slash market share. So maybe in the short term, they're actually going to spend more money uh, and lose, well, I mean, lose more money on purpose. Yeah, but, well, I mean, but at the same time, look at how much money Uber lost in China. Uh, all of it. Yeah, a lot, right? You, said, you have to do it in an almost calculated way, right? You can, eventually, you have to generate that profit. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, it's, I mean, also, like, one of these, one of these, uh, one of the big issues with a lot of these guys is they expand, whether that's even international or even locally. I mean, I remember back in the day, uh, I think it was Ship uh, kind of bit off a little bit more than it could chew when it expanded to Miami and then was like, nope, actually, we don't know how to do Miami. We're out of here, right? You have to you have to bring in the kinds of people that understand that market and A, they're hard to find. B, if you can find them, they're probably really expensive. <laughs> and so you need a lot of them, right? So, so I mean, if you're if you're talking about expansions and you're talking about uh, you know Alex, I think you use the term mindshare or something along those lines. Um, that is even if you're sort of expanding incrementally, that's not that's not cheap at all. Plus, I mean, I guess like you could buy like a 500 million app and install ads and put that if you really wanted to. So, like, well, know. another unicorn for Y Combinator. <laughs> All right, well, it was a fun week. Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. And we slipped in the Uber. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Got the Uber angle. Also, Duke is bad. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday. Equity.